Yes. His name is Gabe, all right? So pray for Gabe, if you would. All right. Um, uh, some folks are watching us online tonight. I'm glad to have you. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching us online, thank you for turning in. Uh, we're going to uh, have a, I guess it'll be a two-week series. I don't think I'm going to get done with it in two weeks. I'll probably just put a note wherever we stop, and we'll go on from there. Uh, it is kind of, I don't know, interesting, funny, ironic. I'm, I, I was telling Gabe in the back, back there, I was telling Gabe, they said, hey, I said, uh, FYI, um, I'm, I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what Pastor Danny does. <laughs> I figured you all want a break. You want a, you know, a different approach, you know? I, 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 by nature, am an expositional, you know, Bible teacher. But I think some people, it's just my opinion. You may not like it, but, you know, the Bible is still 100% front to back cover God's word. And as long as you're using it contextually, honestly, it, it all is still 66 books that are one book. And I'm one that sometimes thinks that there are topics that are quite appropriate for a good, solid Bible study. So I like to mix, whenever, when I do small group um, and teach a Sunday school class, I typically would do like a series that was out of an, you know, expositionally teaching some, you know, a, a book of the Bible or some section of it. Because it's really hard. Like, you say, well, I'm going to teach through Ezekiel. Oh, let's see how long it takes you to teach through Ezekiel verse by verse, you know. Y'all get bored with it, you know, and then you know, it, 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 gets, it gets difficult to do that. Now, you can do, so I'm going to do it in five weeks or something, which is fine. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that, but how much can you really cover in five weeks? You know, it's a, it's a, so I personally would rather bring the context of the whole book and then zero in on a chapter so that we can get a handle on and, and look at more significantly, but, but it's difficult. Uh, but I like doing topical series as well, and I think there's a lot of a, a need for that, the church, to, to, to deal with topical issues that are relevant to our life and see biblical principle that's applied. And that's what we're going to do uh, tonight and next, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday. I want to start a series that I've entitled Traits of a Successful Family, Traits of a Successful Family. So this, this series is really marriage family directed, um, but even if you're single, um, there are the principles here, like what we're going to talk about tonight, are still accurate and applicable because they're biblical principle. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. That being said, I'm also not planning on tonight. Uh, I have very little desire <laughs> to talk for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I'll be honest you, I don't want to do it. And you say, what are you going to do? I need you guys to talk a little bit. I look around tonight, and there are some younger people, and there are some not-so-younger people. There are some people that are maybe more newly married, not married, or whatever, and there's others of you here have been married a while. Um, and so, I, but I think it'll be good and healthy, even if you've been married a long time, uh, to either encourage you in the process you're on, or to remind you of some of the principles that, that you ought to, we as Christians should apply in our family life. Um, I wish... that I could, I wish I could get husbands and wives to understand the seriousness of what I'm going to share tonight and next week, that if you violate God's principles of relationship, you will fail. You will. There's a lot of things in life that pull at relationships. And recently, sometimes as a pastor, it's difficult to see folks struggle and sometimes make wrong decisions or poor decisions or unbiblical decisions. And one of the things I've been reminded this week is sometimes those decisions in a relationship start out really seemingly small. It's no big deal. But just mathematically and logically, as Amos says, unless two be agreed, can they walk together? If, if, if at some point in your relationship, you and your spouse start heading down even slightly divergent paths, 
Give that enough time, and one day you'll wake up, and you'll be way over here, and you'll go, I don't know what happened. And um, I think having a, a good, healthy marriage requires constant adjustment. And we're going to talk about some of those things in the next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, for Pastor Danny, certainly his wheelhouse is apologetics ministries and, um, you know, he's, he's very good at studying out, you know, whatever passage of scripture and the five most dominant views on that. And then he knows all the words to describe the different views. And I'm going, I don't know, what is that? You know, they say, well, they're, they're preterists. I'm like, what's a preterist? Sounds like somebody goes to jail to me. I don't know. Um, see, you guys don't even know what that is. Um, and I'm like, okay. Tonight, I'm going to, when, when he asked me to do this, I said, I prayed about it. And I said, you know, I'm going to go to my wheelhouse. And my wheelhouse is teaching on the family. That, that, that's, if you said, what, Pastor Ken, what do you like to do? And that's why you'll hear, and it's just who I am. It's my style. It doesn't really matter what I'm teaching on. Like this morning, you know, I dealt a lot with marriage because marriage and family is where it's at. And it's, it's, just, it's just in my heart. And so I want to deal with the, this tonight and the next couple of weeks on traits of a successful family. Now, starting out with, I would, let me define terms. Speaking of Pastor Danny, sounds like him. Let's define terms. Uh, see, I would just like him if I had, didn't have the long manjufu beard or something, you know, and up here going like this all night, you know. Um, otherwise, we're just the same. Um, when I say a successful family, what is a successful family? Anybody? This is not one of my trick, famous trick questions. I don't really have any famous trick questions tonight. Most of them are pretty legit. Um, anybody, what, when I say, hey, they're a successful family. How would you define that? Or there is no such thing. Warren? One that honors God. All right, one that honors God. That's a, that, that's, that's a good trait. Anybody else? Yeah, Bob? All right. That's great. You can see, you can see love between them. Well, that's good. Anybody else? All right, balance of relationships. Okay, from each individual relationship to God and then between each spouse. I mean, I was telling somebody tonight, I can't remember, maybe it was one of the, maybe it was Gabe. It might have been you this morning. Gabe and I had a lot of deep conversations today, didn't we, Gabe? You know, um, it's talking about the kids, you know, and those of us who had uh, several in here tonight have raised families and raised kids. You know, there, was, there were years, there were decades of our life where we didn't know if our kids could ever speak a kind word to one another. We didn't know if it was possible. And I know Matt and Michelle, you, <laughs> you, you know, we were like, can these two ever really be nice to each other? Is it possible? Um, but then one day, they, I don't know, it kind of all clicks. And now they're, you know, they're kind of, is that, anybody else got that? I mean, yeah, oh, she got, yeah. Only when you got that, okay, Heather, I get it. That, that's why, you know, I used to say all the time, my, my, my family would have been great if I'd have been an only child. Um, <laughs> been great. Um, <laughs> my sister's probably listening to this. She's probably watching. Uh, don't worry. Uh, my dad tells me his favorite's my sister. I understand. You know, she's his daddy's girl, the only one, you know. And my mom, my mom says the youngest, you know, there's three of us. The youngest son, you know, that's her favorite, you know. And then I'm stuck in the middle. I know. My, my wife loves me, you know. Yeah, there. <laughs> it's birth order. That, yes. I, I'm, I'm one of the oldest because I'm the oldest son, so I carry a lot of oldest traits, and then I'm a middle child, so I'm an oldest middle. That's kind of the most, if you know the birth order book, that's kind of like the most bizarre personality you get right there, you know. Um, but successful family, you know, I think when you just trying to define what is successful, it can... If, if I were to go ask people who are not of faith, they would probably have a different answer. If, l l why don't you play that, that mindset with me? If you were not a Christian and you just think like a, a secular-minded American, I would say, what is a successful family? What would you say then? Money for everything. Money for everything. I, I, I think that, Jim, pretty much probably puts it all in money for everything. You know, I think there's a far more materialistic. Now, I don't think they all feel that way, by the way, but I think it's a dominant thought that if we have enough money, it'll, it'll, everything will work out. I was just telling a friend of mine tonight, you know, how many times I've seen Christians make decisions primarily based on the monetary gain of, of a new job. 
That might be a great move, but it might not be. And as a Christian, it ought not be your primary motivation, in my humble opinion. Uh, now, this is assuming you're able to take care of the needs of your family, and that we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, a little bit later. But tonight, we're going to start with the, the first trait of a successful family um, is, number one, a successful family has a correct priority structure. A successful family, in God's eyes, successful family, a successful Christian family, has a correct priority structure. Remember this morning I used Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, number 36 to 39, where the, the rich, I think it was the, the, the Pharisee, the, I think it was a scribe, or asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? And in Matthew 22, he says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the first commandment is like that you love your neighbor like your, as yourself, that, that you love God and you love others. And then Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, I, I think it, every family would, especially, uh, you know, when a young married couple gets started or whatever, you know, we all have these lofty goals which are wonderful, and you ought to have them. Uh, and we desire to have certain things in life. I know, I've, I've, I don't know, Jenny and I had been married many years when we owned our first home. It took us a while to get to that, you know, plateau. I don't know if today's economy, if owning a home even makes any sense. Uh, that's a whole other uh, financial uh, discussion, but um, having a correct priority structure is critical. What would you say from a Christian worldview is a, if I were to say to you, what is, what does it take or what did the order, the, you know, list maybe one to three, one to four top priorities that a Christian family or a Christian ought to have in their life? Anybody? All right, going to church, that's a priority, but that's a good one, actually. Pastors love hearing that. <laughs> Points for Lydia. Um, now, I just read a verse, two verses to you. When you ask, what's the most important thing? Number one, love God. Right? God. Should not, your personal relationship with God should be number one. Um, if you're married, I would put spouse number two. And when it comes to number three and following, we will discuss that here in a little bit. You know, a lot of people I know have um, what I call, well, many times we, we desire to get a certain place in our life. We want to have a great family. We want to be happy. We want these things. And we have great intentions, Anybody else struggle with intentions? Are intentions a bad thing? This, that is a trick question, I guess. So, no? Um, most of the time, yeah, I, I think I'd go with Bob and say, I, yeah, I kind of think in many ways attention, in, intentions become bad because there's a lot of people that we want to get somewhere, we desire that goal, but we're not willing to go from intentionality, intentions to concrete action. Um, you've heard the old adage, the road to ruin is paved with good intentions, right? And when it comes to your priority structure, don't miss this. If you're going to have a correct priority structure, it means saying no to some things. And that gets hard. In our world today, there's just things grabbing at us all over the place, isn't there? Do this, do this, do this. And each of us have a unique path and a unique ability to handle some things. Some people multitask better than others. You know, some things are, you know, your, your walk with God is your walk with God. And then when you get married, you and your wife, your, your oneness together, your, your family unit walk with God is, is what it is. But I can tell you that throughout life, there's going to be competing demands. You see, if you're going to have correct priorities, number one underneath that, Priorities demonstrate our value system as well as the value system we are passed on to our children. This morning, I 
when I was speaking out of Romans chapter 12, we talked about love not being full of dissimulation or hypocrisy. Um, can somebody give me a, let's go to the husband-wife relationship. Can somebody give me an idea or an example of how a spouse can say one thing that is loving, but they're actually living in hypocrisy? Yeah, Jen? Wow, that kind of hit it right out of the park. That's pretty good, hon. Um, and I see that a lot. Well, I tell her I love her. Well, I'm glad you tell her you love her, but you better figure out from your wife what it is that she connects with. And same thing, it can be the other way around as well. You know, the, um, you, know um, you can say it, but if this, this, and this is clearly more important that's hypocrisy. What you're saying does not match what you're doing, and it's going to impact your your value system. You know, uh, as Christians, I think if I were to ask most Christians, you know, what's the most important thing to you? And as Christians, we just read in the scripture, it ought to be loving God with all your heart, right? But how often do we allow other things that can be in of themselves good things but they become a higher priority to us than really our relationship with God. And you say, well, how do you manage it? You know, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, I don't want to say, well, you're praying an hour a day. I don't want to be that kind of legalistic. Um, that, that, that God is a priority in your life. Well, you tell me before I say that. How, how, how would a Christian, how do you think a Christian demonstrates or the things that they do that show that God's a priority in that Christian's life? That's an excellent question. 4.0? All right, memorizing Scripture and memorizing God's Word, hiding it into your heart. Anybody else? How do you do that? Yeah, Cody? Um, do, uh, that, that's excellent. You know, do, do we wake up in the morning and say our prayers in the morning, maybe read our little devotional thing, and then we kind of set God on a shelf the rest of the day. And now work is more important as opposed to what Cody's saying is every situation that you encounter throughout a day, can we discipline ourselves to bring God into that situation? I mean, it would change the way may, we might respond to things if we ask God, you know, God, it, whether it's your work, whether what, whatever it is. I mean, because if he's number one in your life, then does that bring him, you know? Bottom line is, when, whenever we take that priority structure and we have it wrong, and every one of us who's a Christian has done it and will do it, where we subtly lose sight of that priority and all of a sudden other things are more important to us and whatever, ultimately, whatever we've put in our priority structure in front of God, God looks at that as an idol. It's really idolatry. And ultimately, if, the reality is, if God... If you're on fire with God and God's first in your life, and boy, I know there are seasons in my life and I hope my goal is to live consistently where I don't fail in that area, where I keep God first in my life, but there are times where I do fail and I need to repent and I need to be convicted and get, get back right. But whenever I take God from here and I move him down a notch and I put whatever else it is, maybe in my case, here's, here's inside baseball, um, you know, pastors are famous for justifying ministry. Well, it's ministry. It's ministry. No, my ministry should not be above my own personal relationship with God, but it's easy to do and justify it. But whenever I do that, now I've made the ministry an idol, and ultimately what I've done is I've devalued God. Ooh. If, when we look at it that way, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more clear, doesn't it? Ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it with God. You know, it's, uh, same thing with the spouse. You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis... Ooh, I'm going to step in it here. But the Bible says when, when a husband and wife get married that you leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. What do you think that means to leave the father and mother? Anybody? 
This will be a good one. No one wants to touch this one. If you're watching online, uh, no one will touch this one with a 10-foot pole. Jenny? <laughs> she didn't raise her hand. You know I'm, I'm calling her. Well, you'd like to think so, Jim. <laughs> you're right. That's what's supposed to happen. They're exactly right. You're exactly right. Cody got you. Oh, that's a, that's good. That's good. You you've left your mom and dad as being that source of trust and everything, and now you're you're putting putting that in your spouse. Uh, anybody else? Those, those are good. Um, no, y'all are gonna be quiet. No one no no one wants to talk. Bill. Well, I would say it, it still involves the, the the family to some extent because who throws the kids out there and says you're on your own? Uh, it's not that they're being boomerangs. You help them make the transition. That certainly takes time. Yes. Uh, but you, there is a, a, a point where you have to look at the kids and say, uh, y'all are married. Y'all need to do what married people do. Be the adults for a while. Yes. And uh, help them out when they need it, but they need to learn to trust in God. You know, that, that, that cord that's like three, three yeah. put it together. I mean, when they have God in that thing, it's a lot of learning takes place. Yeah, Bill says that, you know, they have to learn um, to trust God themselves, and, but it doesn't mean that parents don't continue to help their kids after they get married. I don't think that's it, but I agree with you. I think we continue to help them, uh, but they need to form their own family unit. Um, anybody remember when you first got married and um, Christmas time came around? Anybody else have the issue of where you're going for Christmas dinner? Can I, can I get an amen on that? And everybody, then when the miracle of birth and little 4.0 shows up, then everybody wants to see, they don't care about ginger and 3.0. Now all they want to see is 4.0, but now it only intensifies like, we never get to see baby Warren, you know, um, and, you know, and sometimes as a, as a married couple, you have to stay together and say, we are now a family unit. You know, we, we are not, alienated from the greater family structure. Matter of fact, I was telling my dad, and you know, this is a Jewish perspective thing, but you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Jewish perspective, there is no grandfathers. There's no thing as a grandfather in the, in the scriptures. They're fathers. David slept with, when he died, he slept with his fathers. In other words, if you're a grandfather, in God's eyes, you're still fathering that child. You're just now doing it from a different vantage point. And by the way, Doing it from a grandparent one is much better than from the, from the direct line. I, I like this grandparenting. I tell everybody, if I could have jumped right to grandparenting, I would have, I would have done that. But, you know, here's another way. You know, if, if you're in a marriage relationship, I had this one where, you know, where as a husband, things you do not say is, hey, my mom never did it that way. Ooh, don't, don't, do not, don't, do not say that. You, you know, you, I would say, are you married to your mother? I know we're in Alabama, but are you married to your mother? Um, you know, I'm sorry if you're not from Alabama. We sometimes get a bum rap. I don't think I know any of that happening, but who knows? Um, you no, know, that, that, that priority structure is God. And then uh, if you're married, it's your spouse. And I got to tell you that it's been my experience that spouses intuitively know that they ought to be that priority. And particularly women, they want to know that they're treasured and, and loved. And you all know I, that uh, one of my favorite books, uh, I can't remember the, uh, the author's name, but that study that was done, it's just fantastic, that they, they basically asked, they asked a bunch of men and women, they asked them and said, listen, you can either be loved or respected. You got to pick one. Overwhelmingly, women said they wanted to be loved before respected. Overwhelmingly, men said they wanted to be respected before they were loved. Interesting, isn't it? And this comes from a correct priority structure of, of demonstrating that, that, that system. You know, when it comes to children, you know, are, are children supposed to be a priority? Yeah. You know, they really are. But in the pri where are they at in your priority structure? That, that's a key question. I'm going to tell you, in America today, <laughs> and some of you, I know we got some old-timers in here this, tonight watching. 
many times the priority structure in the home, I don't know if God's in there or not, but the spouse is here and the children are here. It's children, then spouse. That is a critical error. That, that is an incorrect priority structure that will not lead to a successful family. Now, I'm not saying kids shouldn't be a priority, but mercy. You, God gave you those children. And he gave you the spouse, but he also let you choose that spouse. That's the one person on the planet you chose. Now, maybe you regret your choice, <laughs> but you made it. So you got, you, you got now I don't. Um, but sometimes I, I'm astounded at what a mother, and moms are typically more prone to this than men. Men, it's they make work the priority, but that what a mom will do for the children, and they leave consistently nothing in reserve for the husband. I'm just telling you, you can say what your priority structure is, and then you live it out. And somewhere along the way, there needs to be that, that priority of the marriage. And, you know, I'm one I tell folks all the time, and I'll continue to say it, you know, I, I, there needs to be times where you have date night or, you know, many, like, our kids are still bitter to this day, and you know what, I don't care. Um, they have to get over it. Um, but I made a priority. Jen and I, we, you know, went away, just the two of us without the kids. They went to the grandparents' house, and the grandparents were thrilled to have them. Now, we paid dearly when we got them back, <laughs> right? You know, the grandparents have a way of ruining children, and now I'm guilty of that. If Allison's watching, I'm, I'm guilty of that too, but we have to understand that not only is it best for your marriage, but your children are watching this. And I hope that I want our children to understand when they get married the priority of their marriage. You know, that they, that they, they prioritize that. Well, another thing I want to talk about, second thing about the right priorities is they promote the health and growth of the most important things in our lives. Wrong, wrong priorities prohibit growth and health. Um, like Jenny mentioned earlier, I, I get this a lot of times where, you know, I'm, I'm working with, somebody they're having issues or whatever and it, it it eventually comes out that whether it's on the wife's side or the husband's side one of them doesn't recognize that while they're saying one thing what they're doing is very different um for example i i you know i remember uh i i played sports uh uh, pretty much, early, especially early on in our marriage, used to go to men's basketball night, and then when I went to Florida, I golfed, you know, quite a bit, and I remember men would say to me, well, isn't Jenny mad at you for going and golfing? I'd go, no, no, I, maybe she just wants to get rid of me, I, I don't know, so get him out of the house, I don't know, maybe that's why she said, do 18 today, hon, just do, you know, golf, golf 18. Um, but I began to realize that if your relationship Golf, the wife is convinced that the golf is more important than her. You're going to get a lot of blowback. It doesn't matter if it's golf. It doesn't matter if it's guns. It doesn't matter if it's cars. It doesn't matter if it's your work. You can pick any number of things that, be, that can become that. And if you're getting a lot of resistance from your spouse when you're involved in those, you've probably got your priorities out of structure. But the wonderful thing I try to tell men and women, if you'll legitimately make your spouse the priority and you invest in them to their love tank is really full, they're, they're going to be the first one to say, hey, you, you know what, hon? You really ought to go to that shooting range. You know, I think it'd be good for you. Now, once again, it may be because they're sick of you, too. So you got to discern the two things. But hopefully it's because they're like, they, hey, we recognize it. Re or, or a husband. You know, if, if things are working the way they should, you know, a husband should be able to say, hey, hon, you know, you know I'm home for work. Yeah, I'm tired. But you know what? I'm going to keep the kids. You, you, why don't you go down to, you know, Kohl's? I understand they're in a big sale. And, you know, go, go buy yourself a new pair of shoes or something. After your wife faints and gets off the floor, um, you know, she's going to be good. You're, you're going to be like way up here. Um, but if a wife, if you're always out shopping all the time and you're gone all the time and every single night and the husband feels like he's ne his needs are never met, there's going to be blowback against that and he's going to resent your shopping. And it's really, you think it's all about the shopping when really it's not. It's that your priority structure is, 
is flawed and it's, it's, it's creating a disaster. I mean, the Bible says for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And I, I wrote in my notes, um, is it possible to separate your treasure from your heart? Think about that. Is it possible to separate your treasure from your heart? That's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? I mean, I, I think at the end of it, when I roll that around in my brain a little bit, I, I, I think whatever I have my heart set on is where my treasure is. Um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to setting these priority structures or getting them in order the way God would have them, you know, my relationship with God, number one, and then my relationship with, if you're married, with my spouse, second. Um, if I had a dollar for every time I've been told this, well, Pastor, I just don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. Now, we are created as people with feelings, love feelings, feelings are good like, to a degree, but you got to get over your emotional one and decide you're going to do what is right because it's right. And my experience has been that when you do the right thing and you structure the priorities correctly, in time, the emotion will follow. Because what you set your heart on is where your treasure is or where you put your treasure, your heart ultimately goes. When it comes to setting a priority, how can you tell if something is a priority? Anybody? How do you, how do you know? Okay, you give yourself to it. That's a good one. Anybody else? All right, you do it more than anything else. There you go, Heather. It consumes your thoughts. That, that's excellent. Anybody else? Sometimes I have a hard time thinking, how do I know if this is a priority in my life? I think we have to, we have to ask, you know, some of these, uh, these, these questions. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to your priority structure, uh, I would encourage you, and I'm going to be a little, I, I, you might consider this provocative, but I don't really think it is. But I think for a believer, especially if one that's married, and if you're not, I guess it goes up a notch, but God first, spouse second, and I would say for a Christian, church third. And I will tell you that in American Christianity, I would find that priority structure rare. God first, spouse second, church third. Now, by the way, get that church is third and God is first. A lot of times we get those two things confused. Well, I go to church, isn't that God? No. I've known a lot of people that could teach junior church or pastor a church, and God was not a priority in their personal life at all. You can go through the motions and do all kinds of things without, you know, making, having God be your real, those are two separate issues. Our devotion to God is a very personal thing. It's very possible to be highly involved in church without putting God in priority in, in our life. And boy, what a sad state of affairs that is. But like I preached this morning, and I think was it uh, 4.0, my, my gift that you sent me today, wasn't that what the, the line? Because I wasn't in my notes, but it was a good one. And Jim Morgan, Brother Jim, gave me a hearty amen tonight before church on this one. You know, I said something to the effect of, if you're a Christian and you're not in church, you're the biggest hypocrite of all. Because you're saying, I'm a Christian, and it, you might be a Christian. I'm, not, I'm saying, okay, let's say you're a Christian and your priority structure is not right. If you're a Christian, by New Testament standards, Bible standards, Christians belong connected to the body of Christ. They just do. I don't know in the New Testament how you'd walk away with any other thought. And yet most Christians would say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I really don't need the church. You know, they, they, have, they have a bunch of hypocrites down there. And again, I would submit to you that if you're not going, you're, you're, you're saying, I'm a Christian, and you well may be a Christian, but you're not doing what a Christian ought to do. Isn't that the definition of a hypocrite? Say one thing, do another? That's what they do. And I would tell you that the church being involved in your life as a priority is a critical component 
to a successful family. Now, with that being said, I, maybe I should quantify that by saying a healthy church. Um, I, I, as a kid, I, I started attending church when I was probably five. My dad got saved when he was in his late 20s. I think he was in his late 20s and... Um, my dad got saved. He was witnessed to by a coworker of his, um, and really instilled in him and brought the the scriptures. And God was bringing conviction on my dad. My dad grew up in a in a broken, non-functional home. Um, he spent time in an orphanage, and he had some baggage. But when he found out about what Christ was offering. Uh, he was convicted, and then him and my aunt, uh, his sister, went to a uh, Billy Graham crusade, and uh, he made a profession of faith. And when he came back, he, he told me, I said, well, how'd you know what to do? He said, well, I just knew Christians should go to church. He goes, I knew enough about that. He didn't grow up in church, but he knew Christians go to church. And I said, but you didn't know nothing. He goes, no, I didn't know anything. He said, I knew I was saved. I understood the, the plan of salvation. And I knew I was saved. And he goes, I said, well, how did you decide where to go to church? And this, this, if he's listening, which he probably is, um, he told me, he said, well, I was driving home from work one day. And we used to live out in the country and came back. Uh, what is that, forest? I don't know. He, he came back. He's driving by, and he goes, I was praying about it. I was talking to God, saying, I know I need to go to church, but I don't know where to go to church. Where should I go to church? And he goes, I looked off to my right, and about a block off the main road there, I could see a steeple going up. And he goes, I'll go to church there. Now, I don't recommend this method of church locating, um, but I will tell you, when you're a brand-new Christian, aren't you glad for the grace of God that he, that he does this? And we we, he started attending that church, Lovejoy Covenant Church, and that is where our whole family, we were introduced to the Awana program. They were running Awana. And that's where our family got discipled. They, they, they threw my mom and dad in as Awana workers right away. And my grandma, my grandmother got, she was like the, the one that kept all the points and all that. That was my grandmother did that. She got involved in our local church. And we were there for years, most until I was like in junior high, from the time I was a little kid to about junior high. And um, I'll tell you, um, the, the, the impact of that church on our family cannot be measured. I don't know how to put it into words. I, it, we would not be who we are. And many Christians, I think, undervalue the importance of being part of the church. And when I say being part of the church, I'm not saying just showing up once a week coming in last, leaving first. That's not being connected. You, you, you got to get in there and mix it up, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I'm more convinced now as an old guy than I was as a young guy that one of the, maybe the primary way that God wants to disciple you and chop off the hard edges that you have in your life is through the ministry of the local church. You know, sometimes when you're married and your spouse tells you, hey, you're being a jerk, <laughs> We don't receive it really well, you know, we don't like it really well, you know, but when you're running around with the men at church and you have some issue in your life and you're being a jerk and one of, the, one of your brothers in Christ says, hey, hey, Matt, you're being a jerk. Um, all of a sudden, iron sharpens iron. And, and those friendships, you know, as the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, you know, evil communication corrupts good manners, that who you hang around with is who you become like. And so I would encourage families when you're establishing a structure, again, I'm going to get in trouble for this, so I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's okay. Um, I'm old enough now that I guess it is what it is, but I'm going to tell you how my dad did it and how I did it and because I think it's biblical. I wish most American Christians could be as committed, as committed to their local church as they are to Little League, gymnastics, karate, whatever. 
but most of the time they're not. Now, I know it's not popular, and I probably just stepped on toes, but it is what it is. It's truth. And you're sending your kids a message. Now, I'm not saying to be legalistic. I, I remember I had a, a guy that was going to, I went to churches before I was pastoring. I was leading, I was a leader in the church, though, and this guy had family coming in and that they very seldom saw. And it was his wife's side of the family, and some of them were unbelievers. And at church, they were talking about next week, and he mentioned that the family was coming in, and the, the pastor said something like, well, you know, you know, you can, you know I, we need to find someone to fill in for whatever your spot was, whatever ministry. He goes, oh, no, I'll be here. He goes, I'm not missing church. I remember thinking, are you an idiot? Matter of fact, I told him he was an idiot. Um, nicely. But I'm like, for unsaved people, if you tell them that they are of no value, you only see them once or twice a year and you're telling them you, that you have to be in a church, you're, no, you're not, in, you're not in a church that understands the right priority structure. However, as a way of life, yes, I never wondered with my, my mom and dad where church fit in our weekly structure. Now, again, I want to caution. I don't want to be legalistic on this. There are issues. There are times. I'd be the one to say, you got, you're going out, go on vacation or some special thing comes up. Please, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as a pattern of behavior that I was communicated by my mom and dad that being a consistent part of a church family was an important thing. And... I'm afraid today that it's, it's, <laughs> it's way down the priority structure. It's sometimes, you know, I, I kind of envy those guys that got the pastor back in the day with, before social media. Matter of fact, Jenny sometimes will say, we are not looking at social media on Saturday or Sunday. I don't want to see any more. People have enough energy to be at the fair till midnight on Saturday night. They got enough energy to be out at the lake all Sunday afternoon. They got enough energy for everything but the local church. And we don't have enough nursery workers. Or we don't have enough people. Where's the commitment? There was a day in America where that, as some of you know, that was, there was. And what the church has done, and I'm a big advocate to some extent of this. Matt knows when I got here, I said, I, I, sometimes growing up at a season of my life in a church that was more legalistic, I, the church can, can, can overstep its bounds where it now stomp, tomps, stomps on the priority structure of the spouse and the family. I, I, I had some years of my life where the church, I tell, you know, because you can tell, I don't forget it, where I had Sunday school at 9, church at, at you know, at 11, Choir practice at 4.30, church at 6 o'clock, trustee meeting after the service, Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night church, Thursday night visitation, and Saturday bus calling. How in the world are you supposed to have a family? It violates the priority structure. However, <laughs> there should be a healthy balance to it, amen? And we've tried really hard here to, to, to keep that, that, that balance in there. But... Reason number one that families don't do so well is they have an incorrect priority structure. Um, well, let me, let me go on to one more, all right? I, I got 10 minutes. Um, this one's good. I don't think I'll get this one done. Maybe we'll pick it up next week here. Step two, trait number two of healthy families. Not only a correct priority stu structure, but a balance of grace and truth. Kind of jumps off what I am just talking about. A balance of grace and truth. What does the Bible say in John chapter 1 about Jesus in his perfection? He was full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. Um, when you think of balance, name for me some things physically in our physical life that require balance. Anybody think of something that requires balance? Riding a bicycle. Is that what you said too, Bill? Did you say riding a bike too? No, I, think he, I said work life. You know, work oh, you're doing I'm talking about physically. What, what can you do something 
riding a bike. That's a good one. Anybody else give me something else? Surfing. Surfing. That's a good one. I, I don't have that. Anybody else? Ice skating. Not good at that one either. Yeah, I know, Cody, you were going to say that one more. You're thinking hockey. Downhill skiing. Brock and I were just talking about that. I, I love, you know, oh, man, go fast. Don't hit the trees. Don't hit the trees. Don't hit the trees. I hit the tree. I hit the tree. Um, anybody else? Climbing a ladder. Climbing a ladder? I, met, I just meant, how about gymnastics? You know, all these things. You, does it not amaze you when, when those gymnasts can get up on those, the, those, the balance beam, and that what they call it? And they can, it, it major, you know, men, do men do the balance beam? I don't think men do the balance beam. Do they? There must be, I think there's reasons for that too. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> right, Matt? You're, I know, I know there's one guy thinking what I'm thinking, it's you. Um, um, but isn't it amazing how the, they, they can do, you know, they do somersaults and they do cartwheels and they do all these things in there. And I thought to myself, um, is that not how some of it, do you feel like your life is like that sometimes? You're trying to keep balance in your life and you're on this balance beam and life is requiring you to do somersaults and whatever and you've not attended gym class or gymnastics class one time, you know. This is not going to end well. It usually goes down as a crash. But bottom line is in every successful relationship that you have, this, this single, married, whatever it is, Every single, every successful relationship you ever have, if it's going to be successful, it must be balanced with grace and truth. I'll tell you one thing, you get those things out of whack and there's problems, isn't there? Um, what happens when you have a relationship that's all truth? Anybody? What does that look like to you? Harsh. That's a good one. Anybody else? Maybe you've had a relationship. Maybe some of you had family. Maybe you had a parent relationship. I know there's some of you, you know, I hear all the stories. Maybe you had a parent that, that it was all truth. And I put truth in quotes even there. But anybody else? Okay, what, let's go to the other side. What about a relationship? You ever had ones that are all grace? What happens with them? You get run over. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, Anybody else? All right, very permissive. Um, uh, one of the authors of the book that I was studying this afternoon said this, relationships of truth without grace dry up. Relationships of grace without any truth blow up. <laughs> it's true. Relationships of truth and grace grow up. And, you know, even as the New Testament talks about the Lord Jesus is that perfect balance of grace and truth. Even in the Old Testament, um, consider maybe when it came to a physical object, the physical object that most identifies the character and person of God, maybe the most holy thing. Can anybody, I don't want to give it away. Can anybody tell me, if you look in the Old Testament, and I had to say, pick a tangible item that is most representative of the character of God. Can anybody give me a suggestion of what you think it would be? The Ark. Would you not put the Ark of the Covenant? Indiana Jones? Don't look at it. Um, it's interesting, when you think of the Ark of the Covenant, it's really made up of two pieces. Did you know that? Most time we think of it as one, which is fine. But according to Exodus 25, Moses was commanded to build two pieces. He was, built to, he was commanded to build the bottom one, which was basically a box plated in gold. And then Moses was commanded to put some things in the box. Anybody remember what he was commanded to put in the box? Aaron's rod, the Ten Commandments, and a pot of manna. This is a smart church. Boom, got that all out there. Um, and it really was not all that flashy. It was those items, when you consider them, you know, the Ten Commandments picture God's perfect law. The rod of Aaron represents God's perfect authority, you know, the rod of authority in the pot of manna, his perfect faithfulness to mankind. But then the top of the ark 
What's that called? The mercy seat. It's elaborate, ornate, and you all know the, the truth of the Old Testament that once a year the high priest came in and, and the day on Yom Kippur put the blood on the, sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. And when you put those two pieces together, you see this wonderful picture of the character of God that he is grace and he is truth. And then the Lord Jesus shows up in person in the flesh and the Bible describes him as grace and truth. Well, I'm going to stop here and we'll pick things up here next week and continue to discuss. So you can have this week to think about the importance of the, the priority of or the trait of grace and truth in your family. And we'll talk about it more next week, okay? Uh, if you're watching online, we're thankful for you tuning in. Hopefully it was a blessing to you. And uh, we will see you later over and out whenever.